0: Amen. If you have your Bible uh, with you, go ahead and grab it and turn with me to John chapter 21. Uh, that's where we are. We're picking up right where we left off last week. We're going to be in John 21, and we're going to be focusing there on verses uh, 15 through 19. You know, I, I love it that we sing a psalm here every week. I know that, that might seem like a, a minor thing, and I didn't plan to say this, but it but every single Sunday when we gather, we sing a psalm, a hymn, and a spiritual song. And maybe we're reading Ephesians too literal on that. I know people would tell me I am, but, but it seems worthwhile to me. And, you know, I had three conversations this week with different people asking me for references for, uh, for, like, Bible study. What should I do for my personal devotional? What's something I could be doing, you know, in my own walk with the Lord too further? And I'm going, I, I give it to you every single week, or we give it to you every single week. There's scripture in here. You can just take this little piece of paper. We'd love it if you didn't just throw it away. Take it home. Use it. There are, there are questions there that you can even think about for your personal devotional. So if you're not in a community group, take this thing and use it as a tool. We give it to you. Take it this week and memorize Psalm 70. Play that psalm in your mind to the tune that we just sang it. You know, these are things that we can do, that we can actively do. And I just encourage you to take that step, man. I I know that this week i 'm going to be reminded of my of my poverty and just how needy I am and Psalm seventy speaks to that, and so i 'd encourage you in that so anyway that's that 's a side note that was for free that didn 't have anything to do with what we 're doing here in john twenty one as we 've walked through this series in the gospel of john uh one of one that we're actually going to bring to a close next week for some of you that 's really hard to imagine because we 've been in John for an, over a year here, but we, we know that he 's writing with a goal in mind like he 's not just he's not just writing aimlessly and so it means that that he's aiming for something it's that he sits there in that room i don't know if you can even imagine that he sits there under the inspiration of the holy spirit that he has a target in mind for this for this gospel. And it's not a hidden one. In fact, we saw it last week. It's right there, or two weeks ago. It's right there in John twenty thirty one. You can look at that. It's on the same page where he says that these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So that's his purpose statement. That's why John offers his gospel to the church, is that through the inspired and inerrant message that God is speaking through him, it's that we, that you and I, may believe that Jesus is the Christ and and that we may have life. That's his goal. And it's the same goal that we have each Lord's Day. That's why we gather here. That's why we hold so tightly to the words of the Bible, to the living word, because we believe that it is true and because we believe that in it are contained the words of life. That's why we are Bible people, the very... The word of God is God himself for us. And that's one of the reasons we stand when we read the passage together each week. And so would you stand with me now as we open God's word together and we tune our hearts to hear his voice today? I promise you, you will not hear anything more important than these verses that you're about to hear right now. This is John 21, starting in verse 15. When they had finished breakfast... Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, "Do you love me?" And he said to him, "Lord, you know everything, you know that I love you." Jesus said to him, "Feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted, but when you are old you will stretch out your hands and another will carry you, will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go." This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God and after saying this he said to him follow me this is the word of the lord let's pray together heavenly father i pray that you would that you would come and do what we cannot that you would come and open our deaf ears that we might hear you that you would come and uh open our blind eyes that we might see you that you would come and awaken our souls this morning help us to help us to be able to draw near to you in these moments would you please uh do that for us would you Would you sort of melt away the distractions in in our lives, the distractions in my mind right now and in everyone else's. Lord, all the stuff that we carry in here, all the stuff for the coming week and the week that we just survived, Lord, I pray that you would would help us to just be present with you here and now. Come and meet us here. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Uh, Just a few... Uh, years ago, a good friend of mine came across something old that had been left out in a, in a field, uh, just been left out in a field to waste away. He recognized the shape. He, he knew what it was. He recognized like the profile of this thing that was sitting out there. Uh, he knew what it was. And so as he approached it, it was this, it was this form uh, basically of rust and ruin, but it still had the marks of what it had been. He, and he knew it was a rare thing. He knew it was a rare and, and like precious and valuable thing. And so he took, it, he took it out of that field where it had been left to, to sort of rot away. And he brought it into his garage. And he began the two-year journey of bringing this 1964 and a half yes, that's a thing, 1964 and a half Ford Mustang uh, Back to its original condition. In fact, this is a special one because it's not, just a, it's not just a Ford Mustang. It was the pace car that they used at the Indianapolis 500 that year. So it was the actual one that had driven around the racetrack, and somebody here had purchased it and left it out in a field, and it just rusted away until it was basically nothing. It was one of the first of its kind to ever be made. Uh, but as it stood in that condition, it served more as a flower pot for the small tree that was actually growing up through the floorboards and coming out the windows. Uh, it served as a flower pot more than a mode of transportation at that point. It was a reminder to him and to us that everything here on earth, even things that we deem as valuable and precious, things that we call important, everything is breaking down. Every single thing. Everything is wasting away. You see, this car had scars on it. It had dents and dings. The windows were broken. The paint was faded. The tires were non-existent. Where the engine was supposed to be looking more like a mess of vines and stuff like that. And there's no telling how many little creatures had turned this into their own personal, formerly mobile home, right? And so what it was, what it was, was not what it was meant to be. That's how we find Peter in this passage. That's exactly how we find Peter at this point in his journey of faith. As we encounter him there on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he is carrying a lot of shame. We, we remember Uh, that, That over the course of just a couple hours, he had gone from saying, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. He had said over in Mark 14, he said, even though they all fall away, this is what he said with all the other disciples sitting there, even though they all fall away, I will not. Matthew records Peter saying the exact same thing, that even if all of the other disciples, if every single one of these other 12, all the other people who had committed their lives to following Jesus, even if all of them fall away, he said, I will not. He said, I will not fall away. And he believed it. He believed that. He had made this grand public statement of his own faithfulness. He's making this this profession of faith, like like people do in the church where they come and they join the church and they make a profession of faith. In that moment, he believed it. He wasn't lying. He wasn't telling a story. He wasn't trying to get attention. He believed that. That's Peter. He's the guy who's going to speak first. He's going to speak second. He's going to speak third, too. And then eventually, somebody else is going to get a chance to say something. But that's Peter. He believed that. He showed it there in public. He made this public statement of his own faithfulness, his own willingness to suffer for the sake of Jesus. And then we saw his very public denials just a few hours later of even knowing Jesus. Peter has fallen. That's where he is at this point. He's fallen. He wasn't on trial. He hadn't been arrested. He was just sitting beside a fire when he was asked if he was a disciple of Jesus. And what did he say? He said, I am not. In no uncertain terms, I am not. So Peter has messed up. He's messed up and everybody knows it. He is is exposed at this point. He has fallen. He's lost the job. He missed the promotion, right? And everybody knows it. He told everybody, I'm up for this promotion. I'm going to make my move here. And then within a couple of hours, he failed and lost that opportunity. He's the one who dropped the ball when it really mattered. And he feels that. And so Peter is out in the field. That's where he is. He's out in the field. He has the scars of shame. He has the broken windows of being exposed. And he has the locked up engine of a heart that's broken. And that's where Jesus, that is where Jesus comes to meet him. He comes to him in the shame. He comes to him in the exposure. He comes to him in the brokenheartedness. That's where he meets him. Look back at verse 15. We're told there that when they had finished breakfast. Don't, we, all right, stop. Don't forget that Jesus had just shared a meal with his disciples on the shore of the Sea of Galilee that morning. He had called to them from the shore, told them to cast their nets on the right side of the boat. You remember this scene? And then they hauled in this miraculous catch of fish. They, they couldn't explain it, right? It was too many, 153 large fish. And then Jesus called them to himself and said this, "'Come and have breakfast.'" That was the invitation that Jesus made from the shore. Come and have breakfast. We don't really know what they talked about during that meal, but John seems to be painting a picture of a relatively quiet scene. In fact, the reality is that we're told more about what they didn't say than what they did. And it's at this moment with the disciples watching that Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Remember what Peter said. He had said, even though they all fall away, I will not. Even though they all fall away, I will not. That was his claim. It was, it was that his love for Jesus was so great, so much greater than anyone else, that even if every one of the other disciples turned and ran, Peter would remain. He would be the rock. He would be steadfast. And so the question, as Jesus asks it, is a very personal question. He's taking Peter back to that upper room. He's inviting him back uh, to to that place where he had made that grand statement. He's taking him back to that meal, back to that profession of love. And so with that, he's also taking Peter back to the moment of Peter's denial. You know, it's no coincidence that in the Gospel of John, we find only two scenes, only two scenes in the Gospel of John where uh, where it's recorded that there was a charcoal fire. Did you notice that? The first was in 1818, chapter 18, verse 18, where we're told that the servants and officers had made a charcoal fire. fire. Well, in chapter 18, that's where Peter denies Christ. Those were the people who had heard the three denials of Peter, and the second charcoal fire is right here in 21.9. You see, the scene is set. Peter would have recognized this scene. Even the smell of the charcoal would have reminded him of, of it. It's just like when I, when I light a grill today, it still takes me back to when I was a child, right? And my dad was cooking hot dogs or whatever out in the driveway. It still reminds me there's this sensory perception that's taking place. It triggers that us and carries us back to other moments in life. Jesus is using every sense available to remind Peter of, of who he is and where he is now. And in this case, well, in this case, this is painful. This is a painful memory. He's not taking him back to the hot dogs with dad out in the driveway. He's taking him back to Peter's lowest point, his lowest moment. But you know, that's where restoration really begins. This is where renewal begins. It begins where all, where all the mess is finally stripped away. Where all of the grime, all the dirt, all the brokenness, all that stuff is melted away. You see, Peter had, had three public denials. And now Jesus offers him three opportunities for public restoration. This is what restoration looks like, and it's threefold here. I'm going to give you those three. Those are going to be the little headings for this message. It's the external is the first. It's the restoration of the body. And it's the most obvious place to begin. We begin with what we can see, because that's the part that everyone else can see. It's like, it's like my friend with the car. It's that visible part right? That we can see from the outside that matters so much. We see the rust on the hood. We see the cracks in the windshield. We see the dirt. We see the grime. We see the mess all caked onto it. We see where people have probably stacked stuff on it, where trees have grown through it. This is how Peter would have seen himself. He would have seen himself as unrecognizable, as they were out on that Sea of Galilee. Can you imagine, remember, they were out at night, and the, the moonlight is hitting the sea. And we're not talking about a massive ship. We're talking about a small boat. I've got, more, I've got more space up here to move than they had in that boat. And he looks onto the water as they're casting net after net after net and catching nothing. He sees his reflection coming back at him. You think he felt pride or shame in that moment. Yeah, he doesn't even recognize the man he is. He would have seen himself covered in dirt. And you know what? Some of you might know that feeling. Some of you in here might know that feeling. We know what it feels like to carry the guilt of sin. That's, that's what Peter's denial was. We call it the denial, but it was a sin. It wasn't just a denial. It's the reality that in that moment of truth, Peter was a liar. And often when it comes to repentance, this is, this is what we tend to deal with. We deal with the external That's where repentance seems to terminate. It terminates on the outside. We get caught in our sin. We turn over our hands and we see the guilt and the stain of of that all over our fingers. And so we say we're sorry, right? Isn't that what the child does? I caught you. I'm sorry. And you know, by 30 minutes later, they'll do the same thing again. That may just be my kids. I don't know. We feel some guilt. We confess in private and we hope Honestly, that nobody ever finds out. It's like my yard right now. You know, the truth of my yard right now is that about 75% of it's just weeds. Just weeds. But you know what? On a Saturday morning when I crank up the lawnmower and mow it all over, it's, it looks green. Right? And so we're happy with it. We go, look at that. It's great. Now, what happens though? You, you probably know this adventure too. And so you go and you cut the grass, you cut the weeds with it, and, and it all looks great for, for about you know, 36 hours. And then what happens, Right the weeds start to spring up. You know, this is exactly what we do with our sin. We just sort of mow it over. We cover it up so that it so can't be seen like Peter. We, we jump into the water to show how committed we are, and we swim to Jesus to show how committed we are in that moment, all the while hiding the sin in our hearts. That's what Peter's trying to do, but Jesus, Jesus can see beyond the external, right? He sees beyond the facade. He sees beyond the mask that we hide behind. Jesus knows what we know, is that if all we do is mow over the weeds, listen to me, we're just manicuring sin. We're just trying to make it look a little prettier, and we're good at that, man. We are good at making our sin look, if not good, at least better than somebody else's. We just want the best yard. We want the yard of the month sign that says your sin is as ugly as mine. And so eventually, and usually before the good stuff can really grow, that weed is going to pop back up. It's going to spring back up in our hearts. And Jesus knows that the only way to truly restore Peter, the only way is to dig down beyond the surface. We have to get down into the soil, down in there, And pull the truth of that sin out. we got to take that root out of the yard. You can't just mow it over. You can't just ignore it and hope it goes away. You have to get to the heart. And that's where it gets a little trickier. It's the restoration of the engine. That's the second thing we're going to see. It's the restoration of the engine. Look back at verse 16. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? You see, now he drops that whole comparative question. He leaves the other disciples out. He doesn't say more than these. He says, Simon Peter, do you love me? Jesus is getting down to the heart of it. We can dress up the outside. We can cover up the sin. All that we want. But if we do, it just keeps coming back. It keeps popping back up. It keeps bringing guilt and shame with it. So we sand off the rust, right? We do that process. We get rid of the rust. We clean off the dirt and grime. We probably even throw a fresh coat of paint on it, and we walk it out into the light. And from the outside, everything looks good when we clean ourselves up. So this is what happens, right? In our, in our sin, we think, all right, well, I've done this. Now, if I just do a bunch of this stuff, then I won't be a sinner anymore. But that's not how it works. And so we press out into public. We bring the new fresh coat of paint out into the yard so that nobody around would suspect anything. But it gets tiring, doesn't it? It gets tiring trying to dress up sin. It gets tiring because, because while the car might look good, the outside might be clean, the engine still isn't working. And so we're just pushing this really, really pretty broken car around, and it's exhausting. It's tiring pushing a car, just Fred Flintstone and that thing all over town. But Jesus knows that Peter is hurting, He knows the heart of his friend. And so He even asked Peter a third time Simon, son of John, do you love me? And we're told in verse 17, look at that. In 17, it says that Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? To be, to be grieved means that he was sad. It means that he was sad. Grief is, grief is a sort of palpable weight. It's an emotional heaviness. That falls over a person. It's a weight that, that can usually be seen even on the outside. Like his grief is that, is that internal pain that we carry and it spills over and so people can notice it. And Jesus sees that. And in this case, it, it carries a certain vulnerability. What Richard Phillips says is that the grief was a necessary part of the Lord's work of prompting repentance for the sake of true restoration. You see, Jesus isn't interested in just mowing Peter's lawn. He isn't interested in the appearance of health. He doesn't want to just put a new coat of paint on the thing. He wants to... I'll say this. Jesus isn't interested in the appearance of your righteousness. He wants to restore your heart. He needs your engine to work. And why? Why doesn't Jesus just settle for the appearance of righteousness? Why doesn't He just settle for an outward holiness... Why is he so concerned with the heart? I, I, I want to tell you, it's, it's be, well, it's because he died on the cross. You see, Jesus didn't go to the cross so that you could look good. He didn't go to the cross so that you could feel good. That's not what he did. And the greatest act of restoration that the world has ever known, Jesus went to the cross to redeem, to restore, and to renew the hearts of his people. And why did he do that? It's because you were created for a purpose. It's because you were created to bring him glory. That's the destination. That's the pin on the map of your life. It's what we were made for. And so Jesus doesn't just restore the body, he doesn't just restore the engine, but what we see here is that he restores and redeems the destination. Look back at the passage with me. If you have a pen with you, this might be a good time to underline or circle or Whatever you do. Uh, three times, right? Jesus asks Peter if he loves him. Three different times he asks him, he asks him that question. He says, effectively, this is what it says, the first two. He says, Do you agape me? That's uh, that is not a direct translation. And uh, if you are in a Greek scholar, you're rolling your eyes at me right now for using that tense of the word agape. I'm sorry. But that's, but basically that's what it means. It says, Do you agape me? He says, Do you agape me? So do you love me with all your heart? Do you love me with all your soul? Do you love me with all your strength? Do you love me with all the sacrifice that you can give? Do you love me in this way? And twice, the first two times, Peter responds with, you know I phileo you. See, in the English, it's one word. Love is one word. But in Greek, it doesn't work that way. So we have, we have an issue here. It's one of those little, little issues that we see pop up from time to time when going from one language to the other. So Jesus says, do you agape me? And Peter responds, you know I phileo you. So he says, do you love me with all your heart? Do you love me with all your soul? Do you love me with all your strength? And he says, you know I love you like a brother. Do you agape me? You know I love you like a brother. Twice he responds that way. Then the last time, Jesus mixes it up and he asks him, Simon, son of John, do you phileo me? It's subtle in there. And I don't want to make more out of it than we need to. Love is love is love, right? But do you phileo me? And this is where it happens, right? Here's where the heart is exposed. Here's where the weed is extracted from the yard. Here's... Where the engine begins to roar again. It's when Peter says this. Did you see it in verse 17? His response is different. He says this, Lord, you know what? Everything. Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. He's saying, Jesus, you already know. You know it all. You know my failing. You know my sin. You know my fear, you know my shame, you know where I go to hide. You know how badly I want to be free of all of this. You know how badly I want to be free of all of this mess. You know, you know, you know. He's saying, you know everything. It's a powerful moment of confession. As Peter, fully exposed, cries out to Jesus there on the shore. And can you imagine that scene? And what does Jesus do? I mean, what would I do? Simon, son of John, do you love me? You know I love you. No, you don't. No, you don't. You told those people beside the charcoal fire, you don't love me. Remember, you said you didn't even know me. What would I do? Do you love me? You know I love you. No, all I know is that you denied me. If I can be really honest and expose my heart to you, that's where I would go. Because I don't fight clean. I would play dirty. I remember everything. You can ask my family. They'll be like, that was six years ago. And I'm like, I know, but I'm telling you it's still true. My wife and I still argue about how she broke up with me in ninth grade. I remember every moment of that. Every moment. Of, yeah, you can give her grief afterwards. It's okay. She broke my little ninth grade heart, right? I would play dirty. I would fight dirty if I was Jesus there with everybody watching. I'd go, but why did you deny me? Why did you break my heart? Why did you turn from me? Wouldn't you do that? I mean, I don't want to put my sin on you, but I think the temptation would be there at this moment to put the thumb on Peter and go, fool, you don't even know what you're saying now. But that's not what he that's not what he did at all. Praise God, that's not what he did at all. He doesn't accuse him. He doesn't accost him. No, he actually commissions him. Isn't that crazy? For the third time in this scene, Jesus tells Peter, feed my sheep. Now, I know each one's a little different, but there, there's no real nuance there. They're just, he's being very consistent. The same, he's saying to shepherd his people. That's what he's telling him. You see, that's the destination. That's the goal. That is the aim that God had for Peter's life from before the foundation of the earth. And so his denial will not thwart God's plan for him. That's the pin that Jesus has dropped for Peter. If you were to ask my friend, in fact, I did this week, I called him up and I asked him, I said, why did you go to such great effort? Why did you spend two years working to restore that car. And he would give you a lot of reasons. In fact, if you were to look at our text message, you'd be like, that was a really convoluted conversation. I would say, he said this. He would tell you that he always loved Mustangs. That was part of his, his family, like, sort of ethos growing up. They just loved Mustangs. He would tell you that his first car in high school was a restored Mustang that was that was like that one. And he always wanted to have another one because he, they had sold that one. He would tell you that car, this is when it got a little bit deeper in the conversation. He said, that car is like a piece of Americana, man. It's like a piece of history. To let that, it would have been a travesty to let that thing just rust away in the field. But at the end of the day, this was the last message, he would tell you that the reason he restored that car was because because that car was meant to be driven. It wasn't meant to be sitting out in a field. It wasn't meant to be rusting away. It wasn't meant to have trees and vines growing up and it certainly wasn't meant to be a house for small woodland creatures, okay? It was meant to be driven driven. You know, we've been created for a purpose too. I hope you know that, that you don't just exist in abstraction, but you were created and designed for a purpose. Peter had been commissioned to serve the Lord in shepherding his people. He was meant to bring glory to God by making disciples of Jesus Christ through gospel-centered worship, community, and mission. Actually, that's our mission statement, but we, we think we got it from Jesus, so it's the same thing. That that's why Peter exists. He's there to shepherd God's people. He's there to lead them into gospel formation. That was his purpose. And that's the purpose for which you've been created too. Now, we find thousands of ways to foul that up. We are very creative when it comes to not doing what God wants us to do. But this is the purpose for which you were made. And so it makes sense. It makes sense when you look at the world to see that there are so many who seem so incredibly unsatisfied with their lives. The world is constantly in the state of collision between what they are and what they know they are meant to be. And we just keep hitting the ceiling in life. We just keep crashing into it, just thinking if we can get a little more of this, a little more a little more of that, if we could sprinkle in a little bit of that over there every once in a while too, then everything would be good and we would be fulfilled and we'd be satisfied. We just keep crashing into the truth that all of the money, that all of the sex, that all of the power, all of the control, that none of that truly satisfies. It all falls short. It all leaves us wanting it's because we're settling for lesser purposes, for temporal purposes. We're all out in the field rusting away when God designed us to travel down the road. You see, that, what the restoration of Peter shows us is that it does not matter how far we have fallen short. I mean, you need to know that. Like I know some people in here right now, you're like, yeah, but you don't know. Uh, no, I know. I know that I don't know how far but I know that it doesn't matter. So I want you to forget that for just a minute. It doesn't matter how far you've fallen short. It doesn't matter how much rust and grime we have on us. It doesn't matter how broken down the engine. At the end of the day, none of that matters because because Jesus gives us a redeemed destination. You know what? My, My friend's car will break down again. In fact, it breaks down frequently. It's a constant process. It will need something replaced. It will need its oil changed. In fact, if you ask him, he tell you, every time you drive, you take some oil with you because you're probably going to need it before you get where you're going. It's going to need new tires. It's going to need all that stuff. But it's not that way with Jesus. What he redeems, what he restores, he restores completely. In fact, the illustration falls woefully short, and I hope you've already picked up on that. You see, when my friend restored that car, he made it like it used to be. He made it like it was brand new. He made it like it was when it came off the factory floor the first time. He made it like it used to be. He shined it up, fixed the engine. He can drive it down the road, but one day it's going to stop running. Everything's going to lock back up, and that will be it. But it's not that way with Jesus. Listen, this outer shell that you have is going to fail us. It's like Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4.16, he said, our outer self is wasting away. That's the way he described it. Our outer self is wasting away. That's how Paul described the reality of life in this world. But for the follower of Christ, he adds that though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. And then he said this, and I don't want you to miss this at all. He said this, therefore, our outer self's wasting away, inner self being renewed, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Jesus doesn't just restore. He makes us new. The old has passed away. The new has come. And the last thing, did you notice the last words that Jesus said to Peter there in John 21? You see that there in the bottom of 19? Jesus says to Peter, follow me. You see, that's what it's all about. It's about following Jesus, that's the purpose for us. That's the calling for you and I. That's the privilege for us, a restored body, a restored heart, and a redeemed and restored destination. Christian, you need to get out of the field, okay? You need to get out of the field, and you need to get back on the road. That's where God's calling us. That's where Jesus is beckoning us even today, that we would follow him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you know my tendencies and you know how easily I will move on from this moment to the next. How in just a, in just a second I can, I can step from this place into the world and forget everything that we've done here. You know how tempting it is for me to get to lunch and just go back to who I was. Lord, I pray that you'd restore that, that you'd redeem that in me. That you would create in us clean hearts. That you would renew a steadfast spirit in us. We praise God that you cast us not away in Christ. That you do not take your Holy Spirit from us. We pray that you would restore unto us today the joy of our salvation. And renew a right spirit in us. Lord, I pray that you would do that. Help us to go from here today. Not like we came in but as new creations, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Let the world see that and let them give you praise. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.